Hey yo, podcast fam, before we start today's episode, I wanna share with you my upcoming speaking dates. I'm taking the stage a lot in the next two months, and next on the tour is TravCon at Bally's Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas on September 9th and 10th. TravCon is the annual conference bringing together traveling medical professionals and recruiters, and I'll be giving a keynote address to recruiters on how they can better tell stories to connect with those medical professionals. After TravCon, it's back home in Chicago on September 20th for the Enterprise Sales Forum event hosted at the Intercom office in Chicago. I'll be speaking alongside Jeff Badgerick, where we share lessons on how to not be terrible and how to not suck at pitching your company. After Intercom Chicago and the Enterprise Sales Forum, it's the Patriot Boot Camp in Denver on September 29th. I'll be doing my workshop on how to not suck at pitching your startup, followed by one-on-one breakout sessions specifically with the startups in attendance. I would love to see you at any one of these events. For more information on how you can sign up for each of these conferences, you can go to startuphypeman.com, and at the very top of the homepage, click Speaker. That's, again, startuphypeman.com, and click the Speaker section at the top of the homepage. Let's get on with the show. Just two modern men naked podcasting. Yeah, bottomless podcasting. (laughs) Welcome, everybody, to Startup Hype Man's Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. My name is Rajiv Nathan, a.k.a. The... Raj Nation. I am your show's host and the founder and creative force behind Startup Hype Man, helping startups everywhere build their hype by creating a message that sings. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help creative thinkers like you and I better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. It's about the mindset, processes, and strategies to help you build a badass company. Now, before we dive into today's conversation, I would like to extend an invitation to join our tribe at StartupHypeMan.com. Enter your email address there, and you will never miss another episode of this show, getting an email in your inbox every single week when we drop new episodes on Mondays. You'll also get my weekly thoughts, strategies, and ideas on how to build up your hype and create a raving fan base. All right, let's dive in now to this week's conversation of Discover Your Inner Awesome. Welcome, everybody, to Discover Your Inner Awesome. Today on the show, we have Jason Bay. Jason actually joins us as a three-time guest of the show, but first time, I guess, obviously, with only me hosting, and first time in sort of like our newer format. So in all the previous times that he's been on the show, we haven't really done like the background check, more or less. So that said, Jason, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited for this. We have talked about... Uh, drastically different topics each time, too, yeah. so, including this time. So I'm, I'm super excited, man. Yeah, so this will be really cool. I mean, like last time you were on the show, we were, uh, we were talking about like stand-up comedy and stuff. So this will be really cool to dive yeah. into sort of, you know, your expertise now. And and for everyone listening, Jason and I have known each other for, you know, almost four years now, I think. Uh, or 2015 is when we met. So, yeah, depending mm-hmm. on when someone listens to this could be even six years by that point. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, I love how you've been documenting it, by the way. <laughs> what do you mean? Our friendship journey. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> so Jason, you're now the co-founder of blissful prospecting. And with that said, our topic today is how do you find new customers? Why is this on your mind? Why is this important to you? Well, the reason why we started blissful prospecting is that, um, when I left a corporate job as a marketing director for a decent-sized construction company, uh, this was about six or seven years ago, uh, I wanted to do consulting. And I immediately went from this B2C style marketing to now I got to know how to do B2B because I got to find customers for myself. And I went through what most people that want to get in consulting or start a service-based business or anything that's service-based do is you tap your network, right? You let everyone on social media know. You go through your contacts on your phone, your Facebook contacts, your LinkedIn connections, and you let everyone know what you're doing. And that might get you a couple projects right away. But what happens three, six, nine months in is that once you've gone to all the networking events and exhausted all the word of mouth, 
how do you go about proactively building relationships with people who may not know who you are and that you don't have a personal connection with? And this is something I see a lot of small businesses experiencing. It's something I see a lot of new uh, tech companies, particularly SaaS. They don't really have a system for finding new customers. It's everything is kind of based on luck. And you and I both know you, you can't run a sustainable business based on like you need proactive ways of finding new business um, in a way that's sustainable for you to do as well. So yeah, it's just been top of mind because it's it's something everyone that comes to us has this problem. And I would say that many, many small business owners and especially you know in, in SaaS, this is the first hurdle that they need to overcome uh, is finding a, a reliable way to get new customers. So in knowing you, and, and all that said, you know, I've known you for a few years now. And, and one of the things I think you're probably like the best person I know at is is actually like building systems and, and being insanely productive at all times. <laughs> uh, so let, let's sort of like dial it back and, and, and take it back to the OG days. Um, growing up, like, can you think of like, were you thinking about systems growing up? Was there something that you point to from your childhood or like teenage years where you're like, Oh yeah, even then I was doing you know things that had to do with building systems and caring about productivity. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. My dad is really I think where I get the he's extremely organized and methodical about how he goes about things. So he is I wouldn't say that he's a process-driven person as in I'm always tweaking things to find the most efficient way to do stuff, but there is a process to literally every single thing that he does. Um, so he's a chief electrician at a small mill here in, uh, I said almost was going to say here in Oregon, but I live in Texas now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what he does is very unique because he doesn't really do a lot of electrical for that mill. He does a lot of programming and a lot of how do I set up this user interface for this worker to use on this machine and how do I get the software to work with the hardware? So his whole background is completely self-taught. And that's what I learned from him was really the resources and the education and the tools are out there. You just need to go find them and you need to use them. And a lot of it growing up was just purely effort-based. Like one of the first things I remember is I think I was in fifth or sixth grade and I, I used to play a lot of sports. So I would always look up to the kids that were in high school that were like juniors and seniors playing basketball or football and be like, I want to be like those kids. Right. Um, when I went to a graduation, I saw someone talking about, they were giving their valedictorian speech. And I was like, you know what, I want to be valedictorian. So fifth, fifth, sixth grade, somewhere around there, I said, you know what, when I'm in high school, I'm going to be a valedictorian. And the way that I approached school from then on was extremely methodical. So teachers never had to remind me to, hey, are you putting this in your planner? Are you planning out your week? I was already doing all of that stuff. And to me, the I mean, the thing that you have that is the most scarce is your time. So I was always looking for a way to maximize uh, my time because I played three sports, you know, growing up, up until high school. Um, and I didn't really have a lot of time for friendships, school and sports. You know, I had to find a way to get all of that, you know, to stick together. So I guess to answer your question, I don't know if I was thinking about it as like systems and processes, but I've always been very conscious about how I spend my time. And most importantly, you know, what am I doing right now that's getting me closer to what I want to accomplish? And maybe that's what it is. It's just clarity around what is it that you're actually trying to accomplish and then build your process around that. I know that sounds very obvious, but a lot of people have processes that they've been using in their business for really long and there's no real purpose to it and they don't really revisit, well, what does this process help? What is it helping me accomplish and how can I optimize for that instead of just having a quote unquote process and being process driven? Yeah, and it, it sounds like growing up, you were the kid that every other parent was like, why can't you just be, like to their own kid, like, why can't you just be more like Jason? Yeah, I remember. In, in <laughs> you're, seventh, you're like, right? yeah, of course, of course I was that student. <laughs> yeah, it feels weird saying that. But I remember in seventh grade, because one thing my dad told me, because I, I don't know, he said, hey, you're playing football. One thing that will give you an edge over everyone else is exercising outside of practice. This was like in fifth grade. I was like, oh, okay, cool. So like, what do you mean? He's like, we well, started walking through like, well, what are all the things that you do in football? Let's get online. Let's look at some things and let's look at some workouts you can do. So it's very obvious to me. It's like, okay, cool. If I wake up at 530 or six in the morning, this is stuff I was doing in like sixth and seventh grade. And wow. I do sprints at the track and I'm disciplined about that. 
um, I just noticed really quickly it gave me an edge over everyone else. So for, for me, it was really, again, thinking about like, what am I trying to accomplish? Well, if it's sports, I want to be better than everyone else. And an, an easy way to do that is, at least in sports in a small town, is just to be in better shape than everyone else. And that's purely effort driven. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I'm surprised then we're not talking to Jason Bay, the star running back right now, to be honest. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, so so your, your dad said, yeah. <laughs> your dad said, let's get online. You, you then went to your dial-up modem, plugged in AOL 4.0, waited, waited 10 minutes. And you're like, yeah, you know what? Let's just go to the library instead. <laughs> so, all right. So you're this your high school valedictorian, star athlete, three-sport athlete. Uh, you end up going to college, uh, also staying within Oregon. If I have my timeline right of your life, starting with Southern Oregon University and then Oregon State University. Now, here's where it gets it gets interesting. There's a lot of entrepreneurs who are Harvard graduates, MIT graduates, or like went to Stanford but then dropped out of Stanford to start their big empire. You go to college at Oregon State University. But you actually, if I'm correct here, you do not have a college degree. Is that right? No, I don't. And just to, to give uh, context here, too, I mean, I went to a really small high school of, you know, my graduating class was 120 people, town of 5,000. So I was maximizing the resources that we had there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, with, with college, I, I didn't graduate. And I, I wish, you know, looking back, I had the perspective I have now and I would have loved to go to a more prestigious school with a better business program, but not to learn, just for networking. Uh, but yeah, I, w- I went to college and I, I didn't know what entrepreneurship really was growing up because I saw, to me, there was the extremes. I saw my aunt and my grandma running businesses that were like more your mom and pa, you know, brick and mortar, like my aunt ran a hair salon. And I saw how much she was working and I was like, I don't, I do not want to do that. And then on the other end, of course, you hear about the Facebooks and the Googles of the world, and those are that's what I thought business was. It was either you run a big Fortune 1000 company or you have a small local business, and I didn't want to do either of those two. And then someone came into my classroom when I was in college at Southern Oregon University and talked about this program called College Works Painting, where essentially they train several thousand students every year on entrepreneurship, and they do that by teaching you how to run a house painting business. And the only reason, honestly, I joined was... I made about $6,000 the summer before for college working at a mill doing manual labor. And I would do anything to make more money than that because that was like the hardest, most boring thing I'd done. And this seemed like a way to make more money. They said, hey, you can make 10,000 bucks. And then that was sort of my first foray into like, hey, like this is a system that's results-based because it was 100% commission. So, which I was really nervous about at first. But as soon as I started to get a hang of it, I realized that, hey, this is like I'm working in an environment that actually rewards my type of behavior. Like if I'm if you're very disciplined and especially around the effort and around your learning, you're rewarded because sales is about that. Right. A lot of sales and prospecting and lead gen is just about discipline, just about doing it on a daily basis. And as you do things, I think that you figure out the best way to do it. But if you don't start doing something, you can never I know optimize is like a really overused word, I guess, in tech. I I still like using it. But you're never going to optimize what you're doing unless you just start doing it. Well, and in your your college works journey, like you were there for, you know, more than just the your couple summer internships, right? Like you spent a long time there and then you also like moved up in the chain there. And, And the interesting thing is, is you literally had to knock on doors to sell, right? Yeah. So what I did as a freshman in college, starting in the springtime around March, is I drove two and a half hours home to Brookings. So from Ashland to Brookings. And basically what I spent Friday, Saturday and Sunday doing was hiring people to help me knock on doors. So that was how we found business. And that was like basically the college work system was, hey, we're really good at teaching people how to sell and teaching people how to knock on doors. And it was something that Honestly, it was really tough for me at first just because I'm, I still am, you know, fairly introverted and not as shy as I used to be, but I was, ex- I was just painfully shy then. Uh, so knocking on someone's door and talking to someone I didn't know was, was, was very hard, but I ended up doing really, really well that year. And uh, I, I booked about a hundred thousand dollars worth of paint jobs, uh, which is about 35 customers or so. And then I ended up being a district manager for the rest of my time in college. So the next three years 
where I essentially taught other students and anywhere between my team was anywhere between 15 and 25 people typically. And I would just teach them all everything that I learned. So I taught them how to market their business, taught them how to do the selling. And then I ended up becoming College Works Paintings marketing director because I was doing all of these really, at the time, they, they, they seemed innovative. <laughs> They're pretty straightforward. But instead of knocking on doors at 19 and just doing that alone, uh, my mom was like, well, hey, I, you know, I read the newspaper and I noticed a lot of these companies put these little inserts into the newspaper. Why don't you create a flyer and put it through the newspaper? And I was like, oh, ding, ding, ding. Awesome. Okay. So I got some flyers together, put it in the newspaper. And what do you know? That was about a quarter of the work I booked. About 25 grand was off this newspaper flyer. It took me a couple hours to make and then a couple hundred bucks to circulate through the newspaper. And then we did home shows and I did all kinds of other newspaper advertising and all these other interesting marketing things. So when I was going to leave College Works Painting after college, because that's what most people end up doing in that company, uh, they're like, hey, you know, why don't you be our marketing director? We're a $30 million company and change, and we don't really have a formal marketing department, never had a marketing director. How about you go ahead and do this? Because you've been taking so much initiative in this area. So what I did for like two or three years as their marketing director was essentially create a marketing department from scratch. And I learned a lot about what I know about lead gen now and, and just you know prospecting and, and, and marketing just by having to learn it from scratch. I mean, this is in 2011 was when I started doing this. This is like kind of back in the day before there was, wasn't really Evernote. Like I literally printed like three inch binders thick of articles on landing pages, on social media. What I didn't even know that the term lead gen, I didn't know that that's what people said. You know what I mean? I didn't know what digital marketing, I didn't really know any of that stuff. And I sort of figured it all out as their marketing director. I learned a lot about call centers too and like outbound uh, call, uh, cold calling and all kinds of cool stuff. Well, and I'm actually, I'm kind of blown away that a company that basically just gets college kids to paint houses does $30 million a year. That's super impressive. Yeah. The biggest thing that I have taken away from college works painting in terms of like what they do as a company, one thing that they do extremely well is they're really good at recruiting and they're really good at selling. So they have some of the most talented kids that are 19 and 20 and 21 years old, I think in America, um, outside of your Harvard and your Stanford, you know, prodigies, they're like working on like really big shit and like doing, I hope I can say that word actually. I didn't, I didn't know if yeah. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they're really good at, at attracting the type of people that want to run a business and want to start a business and want to get into sales. So the way that they've been able to grow and what I've taken for our business today is just having really high expectations for the people that you hire and in terms of what you're looking for and then having high expectations of them in terms of like, hey, you're a smart person. If you work hard, we have the systems here. You need to put the time in. And I expect excellence out of you. They do really, really well at that. And that's really the backbone of their company. And they have really good systems around selling. Yeah. And and, and as you mentioned, this is um, this is really where you learn the ropes of selling and then become pretty good at it too. And then I'll be moving up to marketing director. Why do you decide to actually not finish your degree at college and then, and basically just go the full college works, the college works painting route? Uh, this was something that I thought about a lot because right now I feel like there is still sort of uh, stigma towards people that don't graduate college. Um, you know, it's kind of like one of those things like, can you be successful if you don't have a college degree? Um, at the time, so like in 2010, 2011, when I was making that decision, I, I knew that, hey, if I take this role and I move down to Southern California to work at their office, I'm not going to finish college. And that was one of the big things. So I talked to a lot of people and I was like, you know what, I can always go back to college, but I feel like this is a once in a lifetime opportunity because this company is basically going to pay me to learn how to do something from scratch. And I, and I already knew that the things that I would learn as a marketing director, getting to work directly with one of the partners at College Works Painting and being able to have budget and being able to learn how to do this stuff and get to spend things and get to work with someone that runs a $30 million company, I'm going to learn so much more from that than listening to my professor at Oregon State University talk about marketing and then openly admit in front of the class that he doesn't have any formal experience doing any marketing. He's only <laughs> went to school to learn how to do it. And I know this is not the case at every college. I'm not against college, but most state schools, 
and, and public just schools, Oregon State's a really good example of the type of education that you're going to get in business. It's not a Stanford. It's not a Harvard. It's not one of these schools that has a really excellent business program with people that have actually done it. And I, I know it totally sounds like I'm talking shit about Oregon State, but I, I think this is the experience most students are going to get at a public college. So I just weighed the two, and it seemed really obvious to me when I looked at, you know, worst case scenario, I, I go down, I move down to Orange County, work there for a couple years, and it doesn't work out, but I learned a ton, and I, I move back up to Oregon and, and finish college. That's the worst case scenario. Yeah, and I'm glad you share that because, uh, you know, what I, what I want listeners to, to take away just from you sharing that small story there is, especially for someone who's inexperienced in selling their product or whatever it is, right, there are a whole list of reasons to where you can say to, to, to prevent yourself from doing the necessary activities to sell where you can say, oh, I'm not this, I'm not this, I'm not this, right? And this is like an example where you could be like, oh, well, I don't have a college degree, therefore I can't do X, Y, and Z, but you took it the exact opposite mindset. You're like, well, I don't need the college degree to do X, Y, and Z. I can actually learn all this more on my own or you know, from this company, and that's not going to be a knock against me that I don't have a, a degree at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and invest in yourself, right? I, I happen to be fortunate at that time to have a company that was investing in me and in my learning, but be proactive. I mean, there's there's so much great information on there, uh, out there in the, in the web just about sales and marketing. So if you're a salesperson or a SaaS founder or tech founder, whatever it is, and yeah, and this is a, an area where you feel like, hey, I didn't I didn't go to school to study this stuff. I don't I don't know what I'm doing. Um, don't worry about it. You're going to get a way better education by talking to people that are actually doing this or just looking for some cheap Udemy courses. There's so much or just free online stuff like on LinkedIn. There's so much great content right now that people are posting on marketing and sales. It's all available for you. Well, so let's kind of like dive a little bit more into this uh, sort of like the philosophy now around finding new customers. And, you know, if, if we if we sort of like continue your work history, you had a pretty successful podcast for a couple of years called Gen Y Success, which which I believe is like even just getting podcast guests in as in, in its own right is a, is a form of like finding customers. Right. Because you, just, yeah. you have to source people to be on your show. So from an intro, you mentioned you're an introvert, right? How yeah. did you. How do, how do you how are you an introvert yet you're actively reaching out to people? Yeah, I think there's a common misconception about just introversion and extroversion in general in that like introverts are these like painfully shy people that don't like communicating with other human beings. <laughs> and it has more to do with how you re-energize, right? And as an introvert, that was like one of the things that I looked at is like, hey, I, I'm good at sales. It just sometimes when I have a full day of sales calls, it like it really exhausts me, right? Um, but I really like having one-on-one conversations and going to like group networking events is really the more exhausting thing to me than talking to people one-on-one. So with the podcast, I sort of knew that going into it. And I also knew that this was really going to push me. So when you record something like what we're doing right now and you put it out like you've been doing this for a while Raj it's not a big deal to just you know hit publish but when you haven't been putting content out and you haven't been exposing yourself in that way and making your your opinions and thoughts like public and then exposing and and being vulnerable in that way it's it's really tough and you learn a lot in that process I just sort of looked at podcasting the same way I looked at doing you know moving down and being the marketing director as like like what are the pros and cons of this um, worst case scenario, it's going to push me outside my comfort zone. It's going to force me to do things because I want to be successful. This is going to force me to do things I'm extremely uncomfortable with. So sending emails to people that I looked up to at that time in the podcasting world and facing the potential that, hey, this person might say no, they might reject me, they might ignore me, I might interview them, and I might not really vibe with them, which was the case <laughs> a couple of times. Um, but all of those risks going in, I, I knew that, hey, what am I going to learn though? I'm going to learn how to interview people. I'm going to learn how to connect with influential people. I'm, and I'm going to learn how to have better conversations with people too and how to start something from nothing. That's probably the biggest skill set I took from College Works Painting at 19 was how do you start a relationship cold? person doesn't know you. You don't know them. How can you engage them in a couple seconds really and get them to, to want to talk to you or be interested in what it is that you have to offer? Yeah, and and – 
this sort of leads into so the our previous week's episode was actually on how do you build relationships with customers and mm-hmm. you know when we talk about finding new customers a big part of that is the relationship building process and what i've found i'm sure you found too in the time you hosted your show gen y success is that a podcast is such a good way to start a relationship with someone because if you oh, can yeah. if you can get along with someone for basically an hour and kind of shoot the shit with them that's a really good starting point. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that's how we met. Like that's literally yeah. how we're friends now is because we podcasted first. Yeah. I think that any relationship these days, because people are so public, it's so easy to access people these days. Right. Is like the big differentiator is, can you offer value to this person? So having someone on your podcast is of course a value to you, but it's also, this is a big value for me too, being on the show, right? It's going to, put me in front of people that probably don't know who I am and that I don't know, you know, so when you have a way that you can offer value, I mean, that's like one of the cornerstones of finding new customers. It's like, what, what can I offer to this person uh, for free upfront just to show them that, Hey, I'm in, I'm invested in this relationship. Uh, I invest in relationships just in general. Um, I care about adding value to whatever community that is I'm creating, like doing a lot of those things upfront is, going to make you completely different than, than most people that just want to ask someone, just need things from people. And they just ask, ask, ask without giving. Yeah. And, and so let's, let's dive more into that now. So, you know, you, you end up uh, doing some consulting work, like independent consulting work for a while yep. under Jason Bay consulting, but then that leads into blissful prospecting, um, which I would say probably officially like legal entity wise started like end of 2017, but I feel like it's something that you had already just been doing inherently through the course of running your own business for a while. Right. Yeah. The big challenge that I had when I was first consulting, um, like I had mentioned earlier was I am doing B2C marketing. Like my entire business career has been B2C. Now I have to know and learn how to do B2B. And that's, that's a really tough transition to make because the same principles that we used in college works like, Hey, how can we go knock on doors? Like you can't really knock on doors for our business. Now that would be an extremely inefficient way to find business. So I just went through that roller coaster of like, Hey, you know, things are are working really well right now and business is good. But as soon as I get done with these projects, uh, I got to go hunt for more projects. So sales was not a thing that I was constantly doing. And the idea for blissful prospecting came about when I was like, you know what? I need to find out how to land more customers because College Rich Painting became my first customer after I, after I left their, their company. And they were 80% of my revenue for the first couple of years, you know, because uh, I couldn't really figure out how to get other projects. And you don't want to rely on one customer, obviously, that much. So I started experimenting with like LinkedIn, uh, cold email. I would read a book called Predictable Revenue by Aaron Ross. And he essentially commercialized like account-based marketing and things like that. And he was really integral at Salesforce with helping them break into like more enterprise level accounts through this system he calls predictable revenue, which was essentially flipping the whole prospecting uh, methodology like on its head. And it was instead of a salesperson doing all of their own prospecting, all of their own closing and managing all of their own accounts, how can we create some separation there? How can we have people that just specialize in prospecting, people that just specialize in closing, and then account managers that worry about customer success? I read that book and afterwards I was like, shit, like he's talking about sales. I'm not a sales force. I don't work with companies that big. Like how do I apply this to what we're doing? And I just sort of figured out and started doing a lot of reading and just self-experimentation on like, well, what are the best tools to do this? Like, what do I actually need to know in order to do this account-based approach? And I just learned that the hard way as a consultant. And I just noticed that a lot of the businesses that I was getting uh, customers for that were B2B didn't really do this very well. And this is companies that are like 11 to 50 employees typically, and, and they have salespeople. They just don't do any prospecting. They rely 100% on inbound and word of mouth and referrals. They don't have this outbound mix. Um, so what we can go into, Raj, if, if you want, I could sort of go into sort of the steps that I would use um, to, to do that and like what we do with our clients now, if that would be helpful. Back with more Discover Your Inner Awesome in just a moment. But first, are you an early stage startup? 
If so, you're probably running on the messaging treadmill where you're trying to figure out how to pitch your company, how to tell the story, how to communicate, market, and sell this thing that you've built. But for every step you take forward, you get pulled back one just like you're on a treadmill because you're either too in the weeds, too technical, or your attention is pulled in too many different directions. Oh, and on top of that, you're facing the everyday mental crisis of being an entrepreneur where you're thinking to yourself, well, maybe I am crazy. Maybe I should have listened to my family and just gotten that safe and secure six-figure job. Guess what? It's time to get off the treadmill. Introducing Hypeman Academy, my brand new affordable equity-free virtual accelerator designed to build a marketing playbook for your startup so you can confidently pitch investors with a clear and compelling message and go out and market and sell to get your first 10 or 20 or 30 customers. Hypeman Academy is a weekly live online workshop where you work alongside your fellow founders, support and help one another, and get one-on-one access with me through virtual office hours. For information on joining the next cohort, visit startuphypeman.com slash hypeman hyphen academy. That's startuphypeman.com slash hypeman hyphen academy. Fill out an application and let's discuss. Back now to our regularly scheduled programming. Yeah, let's do that. But actually, to, to sort of like appropriately set the table for that, um, let, why don't you give our listeners sort of like the background of what Blissful Prospecting is? Because at surface level, it's a lead generation company, but I know it's more than that. Yeah. Um, so what we're essentially doing is saying, like, hey, if you run a B2B business and you sell a, a, high, a fairly high ticket service, um, and when I say high ticket, I mean for small businesses. So if you're selling, you know, five to 10 K per month retainers for your marketing agency, or you're doing really high end consulting where, Hey, if I, if I, uh, work with this client, I'm going to get, you know, 10 or 20 K, uh, for over the period of working with them, or maybe it's a 10 K per month type of thing. If you're a service provider or a marketing agency or anyone else selling services and it's B2B, what we're doing is essentially allowing you to outsource that SDR function, that prospecting function to us, because you don't have the time to do it. You may not have the expertise and you certainly don't have the time to manage someone and teach them how to do it. So we're essentially saying, hey, for maybe 60, 70% of the cost of bringing someone on full time and doing this, you can just outsource that to us. And we're going to do this in a very methodical, conversational based way to where we're going to take over this outbound for you. We're going to do it for you and we're not going to make you look like an idiot in the process. <laughs> yeah. So can you, okay. So this is a good then um, segue into some of these tactics, like conversation based approach. What do you mean by that? So the big thing that I, I mean, you probably get these emails every day, just, just like I do is that the way people approach prospecting is, and this is a big lesson I learned just really early on with even at college works painting is that if you try to make the sale the first time you meet someone, it comes off as extremely salesy, right? And it comes off very disingenuous. And the number one rule that we have is don't prospect to make a sale, prospect to start a conversation. So if you go into this thinking that, hey, how would I approach someone at a networking event? And a lot of people do this really shitty. I was just at a networking event where yesterday, and, and those are so much fun for so many reasons. But the the uh, um, the way that a lot of people approach cold email would be the equivalent of me approaching you, Raj, at a networking event and being like, hey, Raj, how's it going? Good. Okay, cool. Well, anyways, my name's Jason. I run a company called Blissful Prospecting, and we sell prospecting services. What we would realize is a lot of businesses lack in this area, and we're able to set up <laughs> discovery calls with them. And I'd like to do that with you. I think we could really help you out. So what do you say that you know, we set up a time where I can get an hour of your time, maybe over lunch or coffee, and I talk about how we can help you. It's like, uh, no. I like, like legit like stop listening halfway through that. I'm not, yeah, not even joking. Like, like no, I stop dude. paying attention. <laughs> so the conversation, like now if I approach, like this is how I would do it in person. Like I would ask you, Raj, like, hey, so, so what are you doing? Why are you here? What are you looking to get out of this event? Okay, cool. Um, so at Blissful Prospecting, uh, the company I run, like, we essentially help uh, clients outsource their prospecting. Uh, have you ever noticed that uh, when you're looking for a new business that sometimes you maybe run into, hey, this person's not qualified, they don't have the budget, this is not a good fit. I'm asking questions like that to just sort of probe and figure out what this person needs and how it can be helpful first. Yeah. You need to approach prospecting the same exact way. 
So when you send a message to someone on LinkedIn and it's just a huge long message about who you are and all the services you provide, you've basically shown the prospect that the only thing I care about is taking your money. I don't actually care about helping you because if I cared about helping you, I'd actually figure out what you need right now and I would figure out how I can help you accomplish some of the pain points or overcome some of the pain points and challenges that you're experiencing right now. Yeah, and this is so important too because you know I think it's as as salespeople, as entrepreneurs, as as you know those who are putting the product, pushing the product out there, we get so caught up in like we have this thing to provide to people, which we know ultimately helps them, right? That's why we built it in the first place. Yep. But then you lose sight of who you're actually doing it for and why they should care. And you know you mentioned that like live networking example like i've been at events before where i mean it's, it's honestly it's usually like a financial advisor who will yeah. do like the the hard sell like right away and then you're like looking at your drink and you're like okay can i how do i how do i step out of this yeah it's crazy or it's network marketers right people doing the mlm thing and trying to sell you health products oh my god oh don't get yeah. me started we can we can do a whole yeah. episode on, on mlm but we won't yeah <laughs> um so this conversation-based approach is, you know, you explained it very well there. So it's it's taking that idea of what if you met them at a networking event and bringing it to an online scalable format. What it, it's easy to in the live networking event say like, okay, well, yeah, start a conversation with them, right? Ask them mm-hmm. how their day is, but. You know, I'm not necessarily going to respond to a random e- from or an email to an email from someone I don't know who asks me just in a one email, "Hey, how's your day going?" So, how do you translate this to the online format? Sure. So, to backtrack first, I, I think there's a couple things you need to do beforehand before you even reach out to someone. Uh, where I see people making a big mistake is not actually knowing who their ideal client is. So what you want to make sure to do, and LinkedIn is a really great tool, LinkedIn Sales Navigator, uh, to do this is make sure that the prospect fits uh, your ideal client profile first. So make sure that you have a really good idea of like, what am I looking for in the company first that would be a good fit for my business to help? And then am I talking to the right person? So a lot of times what people will make the mistake of, and what's the easiest way to do this is just look at your existing customer base and who's been the best customer for you. You know, who do you get the best results for? Who always comes back for more? Who has left you a testimonial? Who has been your case studies, et cetera? And look at those people on LinkedIn first and just identify some really basics. Is there any commonalities I notice in the industry that these people are in? The size of those companies from an employee count. Is there a certain type of technology they might use, right? If you do Marketo consulting, it's important that the company actually uses Marketo, right, in order to do that. <laughs> uh, LinkedIn allows, gives you all of these tools. And then from there, a lot of the mistakes I see people make too, this is something that we have learned the hard way, is are you reaching out to the right person? So you got to know like who the decision maker is, but you also got to be able to, I, we, we break this down in two ways. You want to reach out to the people that have decision making power, but you also want to reach out to the people that are actually using, the, that would be using the thing that your solution is going to help them with. So an example of that um, I could give would be, I mean, we could just use blissful prospecting as an example. So like at a company, I know that, hey, our ideal clients are not like a thousand employee companies. Like our ideal clients are typically like at most a couple hundred employees. But I also know that, hey, if a company has 200 employees, that CEO is likely gonna be really hard to, to get a hold of compared to like a VP of sales or a chief revenue officer, right? So I know that going in. If it's under 50 employees, I know that, hey, I'm probably gonna have a really high likelihood of engaging with the founder. But if I engage with the founder, I'm gonna know that like this person I'm probably not going to be able to get on the phone and do an appointment with. Like I'm probably gonna have to ask them who the best person would be to talk to. So bottom line, before even reaching out to someone is make sure that this company is a good fit for your services or your product first, and then make sure that you're talking to the right person. Because that's going to dictate what you say to this to these people. So what I like to know going into the conversation is if I know that, and I'll just use blissful prospecting as an example again, if I know that I want to talk to businesses under 200 employees and it needs to be someone that is in charge of sales because those are the people that are going to be experiencing the biggest pain points that my service helps them overcome. 
So a lot of the pain points, and this is something you need to really understand about your prospects, is like, what is this company experiencing pain point-wise that I can help them with? What is this person experiencing from a pain point standpoint? So the business is likely experiencing either stagnant or slower revenue growth than they would like, and that's what we help them overcome, right? Filling their sales pipeline. But that VP of sales, his, his or her pain points might be a little bit different. They might be more, hey, my sales reps are not meeting their quotas. I can't get my sales reps to prospect. Like knowing what those pain points are going in, which you should already have this if, if, if you've been in business for a little while. And if not, do market research. Talk to some of your customers. Your outreach needs to address some of those pain points. So the way that I would reach out to someone, like on LinkedIn, for example, is I am very conversational in how I start the conversation. And it might be as simple as like, hey, howdy, Raj. Uh, looks like you're doing cool things at Raj Nation Innovation. Uh, wanted to see what you're working on right now that you're super excited about. That would be all I would send. You may or may not respond to that. If you respond to it, I know that, hey, I'm talking to the right person, at least at this company. But if you don't respond to it, maybe I follow up with a piece of content that addresses a specific pain point. And it might be, hey, just so you know, I just recorded this recent podcast. Uh, here's sort of the TLDR. You know, I share a system here where Too long you can read for those who don't know what TLDR <laughs> means. <laughs> um, here's a quick post on you know, the, the top five tools that you should be aware of to make prospecting easier for you. Uh, I thought you'd find this helpful. So same leading the conversation with, hey, what are you working on right now? What are you excited about? What are your pain points? And then also sharing some stuff too, because I likely know if this is the right account I'm reaching out to and the right person, I, they're probably experiencing some sort of pain point in this area. And if I can address that with some content, it doesn't have to be content that I created. If it is content you created, that's obviously that's the best way to do it. But that's how I'm starting the conversation. I'm, I'm leading with helping versus leading with like wanting the person's time. Yeah, and and what I'm hearing out of all of this is it's we've have we have all these companies creating some good tech products, but like the unfortunate side effect or byproduct of that is they're also removing the human element because it's a tech product. And mm -hmm. it really sounds like what you're talking about here is putting the human aspect back into things, right? Yeah. And this, this only works if you have a product or service you're selling that is high ticket, right? You wouldn't be this personalized in your approach if you were selling something that costs 50 bucks a month, right? Because it's just way too labor intensive. So if you, have a SaaS product, for example, and you have on the low end, you have like starter packages for solopreneurs and they're 50 bucks a month, but you have an enterprise package that's like a thousand bucks a month. You might say, hey, for the enterprise stuff, I know that here's the type of account that this is best for. And I'm only going to reach out to maybe a hundred companies per month for the enterprise stuff, but I'm going to be really, really high touch, high personalization with that outreach versus something that might be more generic because the on the enterprise level, there might be only a, a couple thousand clients, you know, four or 5,000 that you could work with on a solopreneur level, there might be tens of thousands of clients, right? So you, you can burn through, afford to burn through data a little bit more and play more of a volume game on the low end, but you gotta be, yeah, to answer your question, yeah, it's gotta be very personalized and very human. Yeah, so then, but let's talk about the lower ticket items, right? Like how does, how does a company like that who does have, you know, $50, $100 a month subscription product like where do they draw the line in terms of having an activity, having sales activities, new customer finding activities that are efficient, productive, cost effective at the same time? Mm -hmm. It's a great question. So the way that you might segment that type of approach from an outbound standpoint is you might say, hey, if I'm if I'm doing cold email, for example, on the low end with these solopreneur packages, let's say that are 50 or 100 bucks a month. I might not put a lot of personalization into those emails. I still want to make sure that, hey, am I reaching out to the right person? Am I reaching out to the right company? But you know what? I may not have our team spend a ton of time researching things to put in this email that would be personalized because I can afford to, to do the higher volume approach there versus, hey, if we're going to do this approach with the, on the enterprise level and we're only going to reach out to a small number of companies, but some, if a company we, we land is going to do big business with us, 
then we might say, hey, let's take five or 10 minutes per account and like look really closely over their website. Let's look at their LinkedIn profile. Let's make sure they're using the right tools. Like that's how I would segment the approach. One is just going to be much more labor intensive with setup and personalization. The other is, hey, I might send very similar messaging to this. I'm just not going to take a lot of time to personalize it. In an ideal world, you have the time to do everything. Um, in, in the real world, we know that you got to prioritize, right? You might be slammed on time and slammed on budget. So if you're going to do, if you have a limited number of hours or resources uh, to do this type of personalization, I would spend it on the larger ticket stuff. Something else I think you're also really good at and something that you kind of like sparked me to do more of was uh, create content. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you know, I've had this podcast forever, but forever, you know, relatively three, three plus years. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I'm talking about like short form LinkedIn posts, just like status updates that basically serve as many blog posts in their own right. Um, which does a ton for increasing overall awareness. Um, you know, I've had like actual direct leads come out of posts I've done through LinkedIn statuses. And, and I think another thing, another benefit I've found too is even if, you know, like, cause not everything you post is going to create direct leads, right? In fact, most of it won't, but there are ones that are going to hit. Um, it's actually a really easy, like, just copy the link to it. And then it becomes like, hey, I just wrote this, you know, quick update or quick post. You should check it out. So you mentioned like earlier, is there a good piece of content you can share? It doesn't always have to be the thousand word blog post that you spend, you know, hours figuring out how to write and what to write. It can be the quick thought, like, you know, this is the you know short 30 second video I recorded. This is the literally like 20 seconds to read status update I put on LinkedIn about whatever topic those types of like, but uh, let's call it bite-sized content, I've found to work really well. And, and it's something that you kind of pushed me to start doing more of. Um, what else can you share around sort of the, the content sharing aspect? Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because content is so important, but I think people overthink it. And with content, you don't have to, like this whole phrase, content marketing, I think has really ruined it for a lot of B2B businesses because content when you do outbound is way different than content marketing. Content marketing is like I, but I, I create premium content like you have with your podcast or I write consistent blog posts and, and I market those, that, that content, right? I share the content, I drive ads to it, I drive traffic, et cetera. Uh, content when you're doing outbound is a little bit different. The way that I look at it is when you're doing outbound, if you do it correctly and you're starting conversations with people and asking them about their goals and challenges, they're, they're telling you what you could write content about. So people are sharing, in, in, in my case, like, hey, yeah, my salespersons are, salespeople are not meeting their quotas or, hey, we've never done prospecting before. So I'm like, ding, ding, ding. A lot of people are telling me that they've never done prospecting before. So what if I just wrote a LinkedIn post on how to get started with po- uh, podcasting or podcasting with prospecting? <laughs> um, <laughs> Then and, I'd write the other post. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have to be crazy. Like uh, one thing that that we're that I know this is a good sales angle with with my own a uh, sales approach is asking people questions about like, hey, you know, how many new prospects are you adding to your pipeline each week? Um, what are your close rates? All this other stuff, and a lot of people don't know the answer to, answers to these questions because they don't use a CRM. So I just put up like my most recent post is just about the fact that 40% of salespeople still use Excel and Google Sheets as their CRM instead of actually having a CRM. And it's gotten 28 likes, 45 comments, about 6,000 views. Like that's sort of on average how the posts perform. And that didn't take me maybe 30 minutes to write, but I know this is addressing a specific pain point that people have and that they don't know some of these things because they're afraid that it's a huge investment to get a CRM when a lot of them are free, you know what I mean? So yeah. I think that the content is like, it doesn't have to be complicated and don't underestimate the fact that social proof is extremely important. So LinkedIn is a great tool because I can figure out the people on LinkedIn that fit my account profiles and, and uh, prospect profiles and I can connect with them. And as soon as I connect with someone, they become a part of my network and they're going to start seeing the things that I'm posting. And I think people underestimate social proof. If you're sharing a post with someone that has you know, several dozen likes and comments, which is really good for LinkedIn, people are going to look at you and be like, well, 
people must value what this person says because they can see that other people are liking and commenting and sharing and engaging with what this person posted. So the content doesn't have to be this like, you know, step-by-step way to do this. Yeah, it's not like world changing. It's just- Yeah, it doesn't have to be crazy. And there's no excuse for not making content when you can just put up a long form LinkedIn post. But when you prospect, and again, if you're using it to start conversations, pay a lot of attention to what people express as their pain points and their frustrations and make sure to just write posts that, that help them with that and make that be the thing that starts future conversations with prospects. Hey, I wrote this post. A lot of people are, are, are liking, liking and commenting on it. I, I thought that you would find this valuable too. Check it out. And you start the conversation that way versus just, hey, can I get 10 minutes of your time? Or, hey, uh, you know, we offer these 20 different services. Uh, we'd love to hop on the phone to talk to you about it. You're not showing anything to that prospect about, hey, I want to be a resource for you. I actually want to be a problem solver for your company, not just take your money. And to just illustrate that point of the social proof and it not having to be like world changing content, like literally, you know, as of this recording, literally yesterday, my post on LinkedIn and, and, and for everyone listening, when we talk about posts, 99% of what we're talking about here is literally just like writing a status update, not even writing a LinkedIn article slash blog post, just a, a status yep. update. And so my status update was a photo of a graphic of Super Mario. And it's a, it shows little like normal Mario. And underneath it says person who's a potential customer plus fire flower. And underneath that says your product equals. And you show Mario spitting fireballs out. <laughs> and underneath first Mario is potential customer. Underneath flower is your product. And then Mario with the flower power fireball is awesome person who can do rad shit. And then the graphic says... For the flower, it says, this is not what your business sells. Mario shooting fireballs, it says, this is. I didn't even create that graphic. <laughs> you know, I just found it online and I said, hey, I, I first saw this a few years ago. I loved it. I thought it was genius then. I come back to it every so often as a reminder to myself and for the companies that I work with. Um, and so I just asked, like, what's your awesome person who can do rad shit? And you get all these likes and comments. You know, like so far it's, almost 3,000 views, 30 likes, 15 comments of people who are this resonates with, right? And who they're saying, they're either telling me who their awesome person who can do rad shit is or they're just giving their general thoughts on it. And and my point here is I didn't build this graphic. I didn't even think of this, think of it in that format. I just post, posted something that I liked and saw and it's catching fire. And, and once you see a few people like it and comment on it, you're like, oh, what's this thing? Should I be interested in it? Oh, wow, it is interesting. So the social proof just starts to happen naturally once you get a little bit of like, I don't want to call it virality, but but virality in into the equation. Yeah, and then every now and then you're going to sh- really strike a nerve. You know, Every now and then I'll get a post that has like a thousand or a hundred thousand views on it. Yeah. And like you think about that, um, worst case scenario that I've seen on LinkedIn is like, you know, maybe two thirds of the people that see this are not people that could hire me, but a third of them are, Yeah, you know, and that's yeah. like 25, 30,000 people that are seeing your stuff. And the other thing too, is if you're, if you're really proactive on LinkedIn, like we get all of our outbound business for blissful prospecting through LinkedIn. So I'm a LinkedIn connection with everyone I'm doing prospecting with and sales calls with. So they're seeing this content as we post it and they're seeing that social proof too. And it doesn't need to be anything crazy. It's it's in if you're really diligent in two or three months of time, you could easily get posts up that have fifty to a hundred engagements on them between likes and comments and several thousand views. It's not it's not that hard to do. It's just very it takes a lot of discipline, right? And it, it and it's it takes in my writing stuff that's resonating with the people that I'm connecting with. Yeah, and discipline in the sense of like it takes like twenty minutes to think and just write something and, and publish it. Yeah, that, that's it really the discipline we're take talking a lot about. Of time. <laughs> yeah, it's seriously twenty thirty minutes because the thing I love about prospecting and for SaaS, this is so important. Prospecting is like it's like you should be capturing the data you get from prospecting for market research too. Because if you're reaching out to people, they're telling you all sorts of things about what their challenges are, what they like about what's in the marketplace right now, what they don't like, what tools they're using. All of this stuff. This is like the ultimate market research for your SaaS company. So if you're in tune with who your prospects are and you're asking the right questions, creating the content should be really easy. And I also just noticed too, literally I just noticed this, 
they have a feature in your LinkedIn status updates where you can actually embed the post onto your own website. So you could probably yeah. you could just create a you could just turn these into mini blog posts on your site by just embedding the post directly to your site. Yeah, so, I never thought of that. Yeah. Uh, one person that's in our LinkedIn pod, Liston, uh, he what he did he did in one of his posts that just went like pretty viral, like hundreds of thousands of views on it. Um, he just said he wrote a post and he said, "Hey, um, here's where you can grab these free email templates for follow up." And then the landing page, I don't know if you looked at it, Raj, was just the embedded LinkedIn post. So again, I see the social proof. I'm like, why wouldn't I download this thing when a hundred thousands, hundreds of thousands of people have yeah, a hundred thousand people can't be wrong. Yeah, you know, like why wouldn't I download it? But yeah, using the social proof from that post, it's I get that in most social media, like we think of when we put up a post, we don't think of it being evergreen. We think of it being like one time and then it's gone. LinkedIn doesn't really work like that. You can continue leveraging old posts. And it's because this is activity you're always generating for your company. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, I wrote an article on Spotify's churn and customer acquisition in February of 2018. We're recording this now in June. I still use it. And I say, hey, I wrote this post. People liked it. You know, it's like if it's good quality, it doesn't matter really what the timestamp on it was. Mm -hmm. So we're coming to the end of our episode here. Before we depart, um, can you let our listeners know where they can get in touch with you, where they can learn more about Blissful Prospecting? Yeah, definitely. Blissfulprospecting.com is going to be the best place to get in touch with us. Uh, we have a newsletter that, that we put out as well. And in that newsletter, I, I definitely suggest checking out. Like, it, It's something that you can consume in about five or ten minutes. And what I do constantly throughout the week is consume content on outbound, on small businesses, how to grow your sales, etc., and I just put that together in a short email that you can consume, yeah, especially, essentially the, the SparkNotes uh, version of all of these things. Me going through an article and quickly summarizing it for you so you don't have to do any of the reading. Um, if you want to get for free sort of an idea of like how we do things, like that's the best thing to check out. And then obviously, uh, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, Jason Bay um, on, on LinkedIn. I think it's LinkedIn.com slash Jason D. Bay on LinkedIn. Uh, those are the two best places to connect with us. And you can guarantee if we connect with you on LinkedIn, you will not immediately inbox us saying, bye, bye, bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so then to wrap up, the way we close out every episode is by take, you know, digesting everything we've, we've said so far and now giving sort of the summary here, what we feel is our answer to today's topic question. I'll kick it off and then I'll throw it to you. So our topic today was how do you find new customers? Uh, we talked about a lot of good stuff with this. I, I would say like my like general overall advice for this is have a system in place where you're actively putting your business out there every single week. It's really easy to get caught up in product development. It's really easy to get caught up in like PR and other things like that. But have some system, whether it is direct outreach, whether it is LinkedIn posts, things like that. Uh, where you know you're actively putting your business in front of people every single week. Jason, how do you find new customers? Uh, start a conversation. You know, I, I think it really comes back to that lesson. Don't prospect to make a sale. Prospect to start a conversation. If you're selling a product and you have a high-ticket offering, you have to prospect. There's no reason why you shouldn't be on the hunt for large accounts. And the biggest thing in starting a conversation, it can't be a how's it going you got to really spend the time and really pay attention while you're prospecting and looking back through your existing customers with what are they really trying to accomplish this business? What are this, this business's biggest challenges and obstacles standing in the way of them accomplishing their goals? And then think on the persona level, the person that I'm talking to right now, what does a day in the life of their workflow look like? Like what are the goals they have and what are the challenges and obstacles in the way of that person as well? and then start a conversation. Treat them like a person. Treat it like you would be talking to them in person. And make sure that you start the conversation with value. And this is something you gotta do consistently on a regular basis. Jason Bay, this has been illuminating, enlightening, flat out magical. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> Thanks for joining the show. That wrapped up our conversation. Did you, the listener, enjoy this episode? If so, the absolute best compliment you can give is a rating and review on iTunes. 
Ratings and reviews help more people find the show, therefore more people can discover their inner awesome. And if you want to extend that compliment further, while you're leaving that review, go ahead and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you listen, whether that's iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or the various other networks in which you can find this show. For full show notes, references, and resources, as well as access to the over 100-episode archive, visit the podcast official site, www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com. And remember, for tips, strategies, and ideas on how to build up your company's hype with a message that sings, visit StartupHypeMan.com. Season 10's theme song is from Sir the Baptist. The song is called Dance with the Devil. It is off his album Saint or Sinner, which you can grab on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, and anywhere else digital music is distributed. That'll tie a bow on this one. Thank you again to this week's guest for joining us. I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to Startup Hype Man's Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We will see you next time. But in the meantime, take care and be awesome today. It's a dance with the devil.